On today's show, our guest is Darren Faulkner. Darren is the owner of Get Primal Gym and the Primal Academy. He's been very successful in his 30-year journey in the fitness and health industry and is now sharing his knowledge with new personal trainers on his podcast, The Primal Academy. If you've ever thought of taking the leap into your own business, then this is the episode for you. And if you're already in business, then listen in closely as Darren shares his epic story of incremental success. Darren lives by the mantra that everything is your choice, so choose excellence. The life and business that he's created for himself embodies this completely. Coming of age in his late teens without the safety net of a family, a steady job, and not knowing where the next paycheck was coming from set him up to take total responsibility for his actions. Darren lives the go-all-in philosophy as good as I've ever seen anyone do it, and the depth of his knowledge is only surpassed by his ability to articulate and communicate his message in a way that you've never heard before. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Darren Faulkner. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. G'day, Darren. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here, Robert. All right, mate. I like to start off the show with all my guests with a quick rapid fire get to know you quiz. It helps us calm the nerves down, although you seem like a pretty calm character. Maybe it calmed my nerves a little bit. It'll warm us up in a rapid fire way and maybe we'll learn something about you and maybe the listeners will learn something about you that they don't already know. You ready? Yep, go on. All right, mate. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind, okay? What do you prefer, man? Do you prefer coaching or mentoring? Ooh. Quick, man. Rapid fire. Come on, come on. Mentoring. Yeah? Why is that? Well, because it's kind of where I am a little bit more in my career now, I've sort of um, trying to leadership role as opposed to, I enjoy coaching, but uh, this is kind of the next stage of coaching, I guess, for me is actually sort of becoming a, a bit more of a leader and creating a, a mentor type environment that, where the staff can flourish a bit. So that's kind of where I am in my career now. Fantastic. Do you prefer working with classes or working with individuals? It depends on the individual. <laughs> so uh, not, yeah, not down specifically to the individual, but if it's an individual that's doing, that I'm working with that is something that's quite simple to work on, and really all I'm doing is being a sort of a renter friend, if you like, a motivator, I don't enjoy those so much. I prefer to work with individuals who have specific head scratch problems or emotional issues, and I like to work with classes just because of the dynamic and, you know, it's a bit more banter. Nice one. Sounds like you're playing both sides of the fence there. That's okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> do you prefer public speaking or do you prefer writing? Writing. I'm probably writing. I've had more experience and I'm a, um, I guess my mum would say I'm a natural writer. She wanted me to be a writer. Oh, nice. uh, but I also enjoy public speaking, to be honest. I don't get phased by public speaking. I like being up there on stage. And once I get going, then, uh, you know, imagine the audience naked and just get cracking. So again, I'm going to sit on the fence, Robert. I, I really like both, but I'm a more of a natural writer. 
there's a nice dynamic you get from public speaking because you get the energy from the room, the people, you get a bit of like the butterflies, the adrenaline you get as well. That's fun. But sometimes I feel like when I'm writing, I'm shouting down a well or down an empty hallway and there's not a lot of feedback sometimes. So, But that's still enjoyable as well. I like the one-sided conversation where nobody's arguing back. That's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, well, public speaking is probably where one of my biggest sort of fails were if you can look at it like that, but it was quite humorous. Anyway, I'll maybe mention that later. Maybe we can talk about it. Oh, we get into it. That'll be fun. Tell me, mate, is it cardio or weights? What's the preference? Boxing. I uh, used to be a weights guy, but yep. now I'm just uh, all about boxing. Beautiful, beautiful. Paleo or vegan? Paleo. Would you prefer to be in the office working away or out networking, meeting new clients and doing business? I don't particularly enjoy networking. I'm not much of a small talker and I am much, very much an introvert with a sort of extrovert added on to make it in business. But I do like meeting clients. If I'm talking about other people, I'm fine. If I'm talking about myself to new people, I find that quite harsh. I find that quite stark to sort of just step in and say, hi, I'm Darren and this is what I do. It's not natural to me. So uh, yeah, in the office, I would say. Nice one. All right, last one. It's a very serious one, mate. Would you say that you're old school or new age? Oh, old school, I guess. Yeah. All old right. school. All right. <laughs> you won't go anywhere with that. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, mate. We really appreciate that. Will people come on over to this podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest all-in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Well, I suppose probably on a personal level and sort of private life, I was quite disillusioned at school, um, did quite well with my exams, etc. but still was very disillusioned with the whole schooling process. Came out like many people really not knowing what to do, went to do advertising for about a year in London and I was okay, but as a profession, I kind of hated every minute of that office environment. And then I decided to go to originally the Caribbean, actually, I was going to go with a friend to the Caribbean to go island hopping for a couple of weeks and before we did that we were going to just nip over to uh, one of the canary islands tenerife and um ended up staying there for 11 years oh. so that was uh <laughs> i just kind of yeah i was there for for about 11 10 11 years um, oh, i loved the life um i went over at about 18 19 i came back about 28 29 you're younger um gosh yeah, I was, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it just seemed I'd had a lot of issues in the house with, you know, of course, your parents spend most of their of your young years telling you you can be anything you want, and then when you get to a certain age of school leaving, they demand that that you instantly, you know, you don't, you can't be anything you want. You have to be this and oh. um, get some money coming in. Yeah. So I was very disillusioned with that, and I decided, you know, I don't want to play this rat race, so I'm going to go and see what the world sort of has for a few months. And just sort of made a decision at the time being over there that, you know, if I'm going to do this, basically wear flip-flops every day, wear shorts, walk around, you know, with not a care in the world as it were. But it comes with a very big financial stress. You never know where your next penny is coming from. You never know if you're going to have a bed to sleep in, et cetera, et cetera. Very low wages, all that sort of stuff. And I figured, you know what, it's pretty much the same in England anyway, except for you have to wear a suit. So uh, I just pretty much jumped in too first and said, right, you know, while I'm here, I'm going to make a go of it, enjoy myself. And yeah, stuck it out for about 10, 11 years. Loved every moment of it. And it, it served its purpose, but it was hard. Went through the sort of, you know, the raving years and all that entails. 
fair few encounters with the police, um, you know, all the sort of things that come with a ne'er-do-well attitude. But it served its purpose. It taught me a lot of lessons. Um, it got me out to see, you know, a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. I had to learn tolerance. I had to grow up very quickly. I would say it was probably the making of me from changing me from a teenage mentality where everything, everyone and everything owes me a living. Um, the whole world is stupid except for me. But at the same time, having that, you know, inescapable bubble of insecurity around you constantly because you've no idea what the big world is. And, you know, you have to, whilst you've got the protection of your family's shelter and food in the cupboards, which is, you know, every, every parent knows that I'm not a parent, but I know every grown up knows that uh, kids completely, uh, take all that for granted you know there are lots of problems as a teenager but very much you take all that stuff for granted and once that was gone it was you know there wouldn't there's no security there you've got to put your big boy pants on and get on with life and that was probably the biggest lesson I learned from that if there was one sort of mantra from that whole 10-year episode it was pretty much you know put your big boy pants on you've there's no one there to wipe your nose anymore so that was a personal side of things. I'd say on the professional side, much easier. And that was um, was deciding to, as a young trainer or a trainer to um, quit the big box gyms where there was certain security and uh, sort of go out on my own and do my own thing. I had a small bit of cash from uh, an inheritance, a few grand, which I bunged in with a partner at the time, business partner, and uh, decided to just, you know, the money that we spend paying to gyms, we may as well just put that money into our own place. and. Um, jump in about a couple of years after we started that up the business partner actually left he went on to do something else which left me with about 20 grand of debt to his mum which i know is not a massive amount in the big scheme of things but i was pretty much broke debt to the business and also a double workload to sort of manage every day so it was a big tall order but yeah, I knew there was two things that sort of um, that kept me going. Number one was the fear of, of going back to having to dance to somebody else's tune, which is a theme throughout my life. Almost everything I've ever achieved or done, Robert, has been sticking two fingers up at people. Love it. I love and it. Yeah, that's pretty much. Somebody in my life told me you couldn't do something. I absolutely guarantee I'm going to do that half the time, even if I didn't really want to do it, just to prove that I could do it. And the other thing that kept me going which I read the book, Paul Bremer's book, uh, The Buddha in the Waiting Room, and a uh, fantastic book. And uh, he always talks about these little things that are sort of there in life that are popping up. And there are these little Buddhas, little messages waiting to guide you in your life. And uh, I was working from 6 a.m. till about 8 o'clock at night every day, five days a week, and then most of Saturday. And every time I was walking backwards or forwards from work, I would always be lamenting my lot in life. No one works as hard as me. No one gets up earlier than me. No one gets home later than me, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there was a solicitor's just by the way that I walked to work. A guy had a nice spanky BMW. And uh, I used to walk past it when I first was going to work thinking, how does that guy get the money for that type of car? I'm working all the hours God sends and I can't get any money for a car. This is crazy. And over the sort of about a three-year period, it became apparent this guy's car was there at six in the morning when I walked to work. His car was there at nine o'clock at night when I went home. His car was there on a Saturday. The only day his car wasn't there was on a Sunday. If I ever went into work on a Sunday, that was the only day his car wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I told this story a lot. That guy, whoever he was, or the woman, whoever that person was, 
kept me going for years. Every time I thought my lot was the worst, there you go. There's a, there's a symbol of what you need to be successful. Someone out there is always willing to outwork you. So you've got to stick your path and, um, and crack on again, put your big boy pants on one step in front of the other and yeah, enjoy the journey as it were. So they're probably my two biggest all-ins. Went on after that, actually, after making the, the first uh, business that I started uh, pretty much a success that's still going now. Someone else runs that. Then we upped the stakes. Me and my new business partner started Primal Health, uh, Primal Gym, and uh, set up a sort of about 14,000 square foot facility that cost a lot. Uh, so there's been a massive financial investment into that. Yeah. <laughs> Lessons from that one, Robert, I'll let you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Let me just take you back to the 18-year-old guy who's left school, who doesn't want to be in the rat race. Let me ask you a question because this is a really poignant time in my life as a dad. My son is 17 in his last year of high school and it's exactly what you said. You can be whatever you want when you grow up, mate, but what the freaking hell are you going to do when you leave school? And he's kind of like, I don't know, dad, I'm I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, whatever you do, you just got to go all in on it. You know, be concentrate on being happy and healthy and, and concentrate on you know, whatever it is you want to do, don't define yourself by what you do for a living, of course, but whatever you do, you're going to have to commit to it. And it sounds to me like you had a bit of a, I experienced a similar thing to you as well in the military because I was, I was in the military when I was 17 and it sounds like you picked up and left, which is not the same as being in the military, but it's still the same thing. It's a coming of age. And I don't think in our society, men really come of age unless they're forced to, unless they're forced to leave home either in the military, I'm not saying that that's a coming of age, but that's a forced coming of age. You're forced to grow up because you're around men and you're forced to be trained to do things that only men know how to do. But then for you moving to another country and not having a safety net like that, what would you say about coming of age in the modern day now? Well, do you know, I think you're absolutely right. I can't speak from a female perspective, of course, but I do think there are inherent differences. And I do think, you know, I see the hero with a thousand faces, you know, this idea that every man, I guess, has to go embark on this journey of life, this coming of age. And it's always sort of told in the same way. I don't think you can get away from that. I think regardless of what age we're in, whether we're old school or new age, that need to find to, and I, I do think, you know, as it's written in uh, the hero with a thousand faces, it begins with that sort of tragedy. I think the modern version of that tragedy in the old days, the, the, the tragedy was that it wasn't really many opportunities. You did have to be, if have a really good university qualification or else you went into an apprenticeship and you sort of did a middle-class job or a, you know, a lower-class job or whatever you want to call that. I think that was the tragedy then. And in order for people to get out of that tragedy and come of age, they had to go start with that journey and break out in their own way. I think it's exactly the same now, but the environment has changed. I think there's a lot more, in some ways it was probably easier in the old days because there were only one or two avenues. Whereas now the problem is, is there are millions of avenues for people, for youngsters, for old people as well, you know. Lots of people constantly embarking on new ventures at all sorts of times in their life. The problem is, as a young person, you have no experiential learning, very little. And also, amidst this myriad of potential opportunities, you have this sort of modern buzzword 
culture that wants you to kind of fit into a certain box. It wants you to adhere to certain norms. Again, it's this thing that, you know, we've got one side of the culture is preaching that everybody's unique and individual. And the other side of the culture says, if you dare put something on Twitter that people don't appreciate, then you're going to be shamed. You're going to lose all your likes on your Facebook. People have got more pseudo friends and they've got real friends. You know, we've got all these sort of opportunities for communicating and being linked together. And at the same time, those same platforms are actually potentially driving us further and further apart. You know, we're causing addictions where kids can't leave, let their phone down for a second to have a proper conversation. So it's a very, very confusing time. If I had to pick one or the other, Robert, I'd probably say it must have been easier in some ways to almost ignorance is bliss. I'm either going to go to university or I'm going to get an apprenticeship or join the military. And there wasn't really much time to think about anything outside that because you still had your parents wagging the, the finger of war at you and that sort of thing, you know. So you just felt lucky for your lot. Whereas now it is a very, very confusing and complicated culture, I think, that we've created. I found growing up as a kid very difficult. I was very much into, uh, I would say, dissident literature, you know, I was very much into Chomsky and Gore Vidal and people like that. Alexander George. And I found it quite isolating and lonely, not having anybody out there to talk to. And when you did talk to people about that type of stuff, you found it quite isolating and people didn't really understand and it wasn't within the accepted framework. But the advantage was you only had a small community of people to talk to. You couldn't piss people off all over the world. Whereas now... I remember, uh, uh, you know, a good example of this. I've got a friend, he's a very smart guy, quite funny guy. Um, he turned Muslim and he was one, he one day put on Facebook. Um, I just watched a lecture by a cleric so-and-so, very inspiring, but also quite controversial. And he's got about thousand friends, 2000 friends on Facebook. was just wondering what you guys thought of it and posted this lecture up on there. Not one person commented, you know, you could almost tangibly feel the fear of somebody commenting. And so then just for a crack, he put on afterwards, he put, uh, my favorite M&M is blue. What about you guys? And it was instantly inundated with, you know, a thousand answers. Oh, I like orange. Orange, you're crazy. It's got to be red. So I think for, you know, nowadays kids are being told, you know, think for yourselves. Uh, you know, you can be anything you want. And then even more so, I think, when they come out of that situation, the fear of saying something wrong or doing something wrong or going down the wrong path or being deemed a failure seems so permanent for people these days. That's how they, I think they perceive it. I think it's a real big problem. And yeah, I don't know how we fix it. I think this is definitely one of the ways is conversations, communications, communicators out there like this. Um, that's one of the benefits that this type of platform has um, given us is that you've got people out there now getting more hits than the big TV shows weekly, daily, who are having real conversations. Uh, one of your guests, Kirsty, was, uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts and Kirsty was talking on there about how important it is to be able to have conversations with friends, colleagues, um, clients, staff members, etc. Because you never know when one conversation is going to intertwine with another conversation and you learn something about both sides, and, you know, I think that's a real problem for, for youngsters. I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to crack that on a major cultural level, but uh, certainly this type of thing is a good start. 
Well, thank you for sharing all of that, mate. I have to say it's a little bit self-serving for me and I'll be a bit facetious and tongue-in-cheek with it because you echo a lot of what I say to my son already and, you know, kids don't listen to their parents. It's just kind of a natural thing. So I'll give him this podcast and say, hey, listen to this guy, Darren. He's got some really <laughs> about coming of age. So you just echoed everything that I wanted to say. So thank you, mate. That was really cool. Well, you, you talk well. about in business taking some really big leaps and being committed in business, what would you say to somebody that was, I know a lot of personal trainers, I work with a lot of trainers in my digital marketing agency and I see them on the treadmill, excuse the pun, of day-to-day activity of five o'clock starts, exactly what you describe and 10 o'clock finishes. You know, I mean, they don't work the entire day. They have a, a break in the middle of the day and whatnot, but it's, it's pretty full on that type of lifestyle. And even though they work for themselves and they earn a reasonable wage in doing that, it's kind of, they, they get boxed in to where they are. What would you say to somebody that was thinking about taking a leap and doing their own thing and opening their own gym and putting their neck on the line? Because it sounds like you took a giant commercial risk opening that huge new premises. But I mean, the scale of opening your first one is just as big as opening the second one, that the feelings are the same. What would you say about risk and what does that feel like for you? Well, I'd say, first of all, you've got to know why you're wanting to do it. I think if you're doing it, every single person, I think, that goes into business from working for other people has this, in, even if it's only a tiny voice in the back of your head, you have a tiny voice that says, can't wait to work for myself. I can take days off whenever I want. If I'm, I don't have to phone anyone to pretend I'm ill. I'll go on four or five holidays a year. Hold on, I need a buzzer. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can anybody guess what comes next? And then, of course, you start working for yourself. And anybody, if you get a conversation going between two business owners, no one ever talks about being ill. No one ever talks about what holidays they've been on. Very rarely. You can't be ill. You don't take days off. You don't phone yourself up and ask for some time off. So if you're doing it because you are tired of listening to somebody barking orders and you are thinking it's going to be much, much easier, then do not do it because you will have a real shock. If you're doing it because it's your passion and it's what you're meant to do, and yes, you're tired of taking orders from other people, but also you just feel ready to get out there and give your message to the world, your voice, then there is no risk. Everybody has fear, but if you're having fear, then that's a perfectly natural neurological function. Your mind is weighing up potential dangers and saying, hey, this isn't the ordinary. This isn't what we normally do. This isn't what's safe and secure. This is something new, and I need to search back and scan through all of our past experiences to see if this is going to be something dangerous. Fear is just simply that. It's your brain scanning through, looking for something that says, oh, hang on. This doesn't marry up with something we've been told before. Um, I did a course recently with Sean Croxton, Money Mind Academy, a great course, great guy. Mm-hmm. And he sort of went through the whole neurological, what's going on neurologically on that level. And there is actual, you know, there is, it's not just sort of colloquial, there is actually science behind this. You learn from your experiences and your experiences are tallied up in a nice big file. And at any time you sort of go to break out of those experiences, your brain is going to go through that file and say, right, does this look like a lion? Is this a cliff we might fall off? Is this something that could affect us financially? You know, all that sort of stuff. 
So if you're not hearing that voice, if you're not afraid of what you're about to do, then you're probably not trying hard enough. It's an, an integral part of it. But if you know that that's your passion, you want to get out there and, and, and get your voice out, start your own thing, then absolutely just get on, get it done. Put your big boy pants on, as it were. You've got to make a plan. You've got to have a plan. You've got to work it out properly. But if you are doing the right thing, the plan itself will be enjoyable. Actually planning the thing out would be like planning a holiday. And then ultimately, Robert, you know, the, the only risk in life is not taking one. No one ever gets to the end of their life, I think, and says, you know, I wish I'd been a bit more careful. I wish I'd, you know, hedged my bets a little bit more. Every mistake, every penny I've wasted, every mistake I've made, they're gone. They're in the past. They're all part of what's carried me to this point. So, you know, I know you talk a lot about the sort of fear of failing as well. And I think this is a, a problem is a lot of people will start something. It will they'll struggle for a few months and they think, well, this isn't working. It's always working. As long as you're still moving forwards, you're always working. If you're stuck in the desert and you only move one step forwards in a day, you've moved one step forward. You're closer to your goal. So I think just keep in mind why you're doing it. And then there is no risk. The, the risk is not doing it, I would say. That's a, a really wonderful, pragmatic, realistic answer. And I would add to that, tell me what you think. I would add to that by saying success is defined differently in small business when you take the leap as an entrepreneur differently to a job. You know, in a job, you've usually got KPIs, you've got deliverables. If you're selling something, you've got to sell more of whatever that might be. But in, in a small business, success is more incremental. Like you might have a big win here and there, but that big win can be cancelled out pretty quickly by a boatload of bills or tax or some sort of overhead there it goes away quickly. So the celebration that you might have in a giant win in business like that is, is short-lived. For me in, in my business and the, over the years, I've just found that, yeah, I celebrate the wins, but I find that if I'm just improving by 1%, just a little bit, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and building incrementally like that, it kind of, you can sort of stop, take stock, look back and go, man, look how far I've come. And that was kind of another way of defining success rather than saying you've had these big wins. Would you say that that's yeah, absolutely as well? Yeah, definitely. I would say even with the first one was a small scale, the second one was a big scale. But even with the big scale one, you know, for success for me was if I got through the month and I had enough money to live and I hadn't had to put a suit on and listen to somebody tell me what to do every day, what time to turn up, that was a success for me. You know, I remember listening to Will Smith one time saying, somebody said, you know, what's your drive? What's, you've achieved loads of stuff. What still drives you? And he said, quick as a flash, the fear of being poor again. And I think, you know, a lot of times in life, it's not necessarily what you're moving towards. It's what you're moving away from. Mm -hmm. You've got to remember a bad, it's like that's that, that old poster. You'll probably remember the uh, bad day at golf is better than a good day in the office. And that was kind of my mentality. If I got through the month, uh, even if I had made a bit of a loss, I'd got through the month and it had cost me a couple of hundred quid not to have to go and work for somebody else and to be able to follow my own path. For me, that was a win every day. And if it had gone three or four years to business and then folded, then I would have had three or four years of winning. And yeah. then I'll do something else. You know? That's yeah. how I looked at it every single day. And the bad times in business don't last, you know, even in your life, in emotions, you know, bad times come and go. Happiness is a pendulum for sadness and, you know, the cranky is a, is a pendulum for euphoric happiness. And I feel like sometimes you have a, a cranky customer, you have something go sideways on you. It just doesn't last. And as you say, just keep moving forward. And as you keep forging forward in, in business, 
you kind of incrementally get towards those goals. On that point of yeah. goals, do you set targets? Do you set goals in the gym business? What sort of KPIs do you work towards? Is it number of, new number of members? What are you looking for in your, in your role? Yeah, we have uh, targets for new members, for new personal training clients. We have targets for churn rates. So how many people we lose each month, how many people we hold on to. We have targets. We, had, we don't have KPIs for the staff, so which are things like being involved in a certain amount of sales, making sure that you've contacted clients, that clients are happy, making sure you filled your admin in. Basically, the kind of things that if you did this, then essentially, if everybody achieved this thing, then we would be laughing. I think more importantly for the business that we're in, and this is something that getting into the health industry, setting up Primal that I wanted to sort of change and help to affect, was that we set targets for our members, which is not something that's really done in the health industry so much, apart from the smaller facilities where we do a lot more personal training. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we do is every member that comes in, whether they're PT or normal member, is we'll do a whole host of assessments on the person before they've even signed up. Um, we'll just get those assessments done so that they know exactly what their starting point is. And then we work with them to actually set a number of different goals so that they're actually getting feedback. And I think this is something that's very important for people once they've left school. Obviously, at school, you get quite a lot of feedback, not all of it constructive. But then once you've left school, you know, it's not so much a feedback world. Normally, the first feedback anybody gets that they're not doing well is either you're fired or I'm leaving. So uh, I think uh, this has been a big problem for gym goers is that, you know, no one really liked plodding along on a running machine unless they're a little bit twisted and putting in those hours and those miles and, you know, attending the gym and then not having any feedback, number one, to tell you if you've actually achieved anything and number two, to sort of, you know, help move you on to the next thing or give you some support on that thing. It's a little bit like, you know, the mentoring type programs again. So we're very, um, that was one of the sort of uh, unnegotiables that we, uh, non-negotiables that we started with is that we were going to make sure, however it affected the business, that we were going to ensure that people coming into our gym were actually getting what they were paying for. And that was their stated goals. So we have those two sides of it. We have our own business goals. And then I would say probably the most important business goals we have are those goals, monitoring those goals of our members and clients. And that's how you're differentiating yourself from the competitors out there. That's like a, a really great value proposition. That's what really attractive to me. I've been going to the gym since I was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old, I suppose. And nobody ever really asked me what my goals were, except the personal trainer, if you go into a session or something like that. But beyond that, that's just, that's definitely not the facility asking that. Really fantastic, mate. Well done on that. It's really cool. Well, I wanted to ask you, you talked yeah. a lot about the pain of being in business and I could see it in your face when you were telling me, you were taking me back to walking a couple of miles to work and I could just see it in your face, man. Tell me, what does it feel like to be on the other side of it, to be to achieve a bit of success? You've got a bit of cash flow, you've got a bit of leverage, there's some time. What does it feel like? So people listening to this are thinking about taking a jump into the health industry, starting their own gym, stopping the personal training thing and expanding, commercial risk, emotional, intellectual risk, all of that. What's it feel like when success actually shows up for you? Well, it's a good question because I think a lot of people that are sort of driven to do their own thing, 
first thing I would say is that most people getting into a business quickly, you get into a business because you think, hey, I know loads about this thing and I could do this better than the person that I paying me to do it. And then you get into the business and you realize I don't know anything about anything. Um, I knew just a slow what I needed to know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I talk about this quite often, you know, the amount of business books I've read where the story goes, I had this idea, I got some money, I developed the idea and it was a massive success and now I'm rich and famous. Like... Never, I never read, read that, that book. book. Where's that book? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the big part of the problem is that you you have to go full speed, all in, and learn so fast on the fly. It's a bit like doing fat loss. You know, you do fat loss for a year. You look in the mirror every day, and you think, "Well, there's not much change." And then you meet somebody two a year later, and they say, "My God, what have you done? You look like half the person." Yeah. So I think the same thing happens in business. If I take time to occasionally stop and look at the first business, PT Health, and think, well, you know, that's now still running. I've got staff that just run that independently for me. Uh, me and my business partner don't really have to do anything with that. It does earn an income. It's not a massive income because it's a quite a small business, but it earns a, you know, it brings in money for me every month without me having to do anything. And that obviously for most business owners, that is the dream, having something that's just bringing in money. So there's definitely a sense of pride. There's definitely a sense of, I think probably the most important thing is that trudge to work every day, those hours put in, that constant mental battle of how I was the most hard done person in the world. <laughs> All of that just disappears. You know, you can tell when, when, when I retell the story now, you know, it's quite humorous and um, I look back at it fondly as a lesson in life. But at the time, you know, it, it was a real pain. It was hard to deal it with. It wasn't funny now, at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now that's gone. You know, it's funny. They say no one wants to talk about the grind. Everybody wants the quick fix. Yeah. No one wants to talk about the grind. And you have to grind. But once that grind is done, I guess it's somewhat like parenthood. You know, you can look back and pick out individual tough parts. But the thing itself is much bigger than the parts. The whole is much bigger than the parts. But because of that natural nature, I think, of business owners to sort of just keep driving forwards, I never actually really sort of, you know, look back and give myself a big pat on the back and say, well done. It's almost just like, right, what's the next thing? But when I do stop and consider the fact that no matter how bad my day is, I get to go to work every day with a great bunch of staff that essentially are people expressing the message that I wanted to put into the world. We've got a great bunch of members. We've got a great bunch of clients. We've built a fantastic facility. And yeah, I think every now and then you have to look at your strategic objective in life. What is it that your ultimate mission is, which for most of us, I think is to leave the world a better place than you found it in your own way. And I get to do that every day. So I don't look at the financial bricks and mortar and say, you know, what a success that was. I look at it that there used to be me and my instructors, my mentors, people like Paul Check, Mike Boyle, et cetera, spreading this message. And now there's me and 12 other people. And that really is probably the biggest enjoyment, the biggest joy that I take from it rather than sort of looking back and thinking, well, that's a thousand pounds for me every month. And that's another bonus for me every month, et cetera. Yeah. I think unless you're very, very numbers and sales minded, for most business people, it's not the money, it's the message. 
I also think that employing people is the most noble thing that you can do as an employer and an entrepreneur and a business person. I've never met an entrepreneur that hasn't cared about their staff or cared about the people in their business and wanted them to succeed as well and, and not encourage them to progress in their career as well. I find that deeply satisfying in my business. In the digital marketing world, there's some funny things that happen and I see so many different startups and so many different companies trying to... and I have to put my hand up and say I'm, I'm one of those people and one of those businesses trying to create an automated income online, whether that's through e-commerce, whether that's through software services, whatever it might be. And it all, <laughs> it's funny, it, it all seems for night. It's like you're trying to get to the point where you don't have to do anything. And when you actually arrive there and you don't have to do anything and that income is coming to you and it is working like that, you kind of go, oh, well, what's next? And you go and start. Yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> you go and start yeah. something else. And then people go, you're yeah. mad. What are you starting something else for? And it's like, ah, oh, that's finished now. I've got to kind of go to the next thing. I feel like from a more serious perspective, I feel like once you're aiming for something like that, whether that's an automated income or you're trying to embody something and you're trying to become that something, if you start to personify everything that that something is, you'll end up stagnant and you stay there. Once you've achieved your goal and you've personified what it is that you're trying to achieve, I think you need to use that as a stepping off point. And unless you can yeah. step off to something bigger and better, you'll remain stagnant in your world. Your ego gets in the way and you just kind of end up on a mouse wheel. Whether you work for someone else or you work for yourself, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I was listening to something the other day. The guy was talking about, actually, do you know what? I think it was a speech by Matthew McConaughey, the actor, he was talking sort of a motivational speech. He was talking about how we sort of search for happiness and how happiness sort of, you know, inherently has this result attached to it that if I earn a thousand pounds, then I'll be happy. When actually, you know, we're not really what we should be looking for is not happiness. What we should be enjoying is joy that's inherent in can be inherent in everything we do. And I think the same thing happens in business. Sometimes it's assumed because obviously every business has to make money. Otherwise you can't be in business, but it's sort of assumed that there's this financial goal. And I think for some of the bigger businesses, perhaps this is one of the reasons that business is changing so much these days for the, for the bigger businesses where it's all about the shareholders and the premiums and everything else. I think that possibly still is the case. But I think if you have set up your life and your business in a way that even losses in some way are bringing you joy, then you never kind of stop to say, right, well, that was a success. So that made me this much money. So that was successful. You know, I've taken some happiness from that. I think it's just that constant pushing forwards to uh, you enjoy the fact that that worked, that it helped some people. Yes, it brought you in some money, but then it's straight on to the next thing. Well, how else can I find joy? What else can I do to bring others some joy? What else can I do to put into the world? And there are your successes. It's a bit like you are saying before with the sort of small incremental successes. And I think that's really where the, uh, the joy is taken. If you get told at the end of the year by your accountant, you've made half a million pound profit this year, you can pay yourself a bonus. You know, the things that you do with that money, the things that you buy with that money, again, all fall into that conditioned happiness sort of spectrum. Whereas if you can just take joy in the fact that, you know, half a million pound profit means we helped a hell of a lot of people and we're continuing to help a lot of people. And I think if you do it that way, you don't need to stop and smell the roses because you're constantly smelling the roses. The roses are all around you.
Absolutely. And in some ways, people looking for love in all the wrong places. That's really a, mm, absolutely. Way. Yeah, they do. They really do. They do. And part of it, again, goes back to this sort of conditioning of, you know, if you don't get 80% on your exam, you failed. If you don't get a job that pays you this much, you failed. If you don't get a wife and 2.3 kids, you failed. If you don't have a house and a mortgage, by, you failed. There's all these conditions we set up. But then, you know, you're constantly bombarded with adverts telling you it's your choice. You're free. Do what you want. <laughs> do what you want. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm uh, frozen in the middle to do, do nothing. <laughs> Bugger it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what most people do. You just don't make a choice. <laughs> cool. Well, tell me about your podcast because you're on a podcasting journey as well. Tell me about your show. What's it called? It's called the Primal Academy Podcast. And we set it up to basically help newly qualified and established PTs to sort of develop their skills and their education into a business, develop their passion so that they can actually go on and live their passion. Shocking statistic, nine out of 10 personal trainers, newly qualified personal trainers quit after one year of business because they're just, you know, partly because personal training and business are two completely separate subjects and need to be learned. Also because there's just no support. There's not really any support out there. It's a bit like exams at school. You get your level three personal training qualification and then, you know, you either go and join a big box gym who, you know, to be fair to them, they're not there to help personal trainers. They're there to make money and rent equipment to people that want to come in and use their equipment. Um, they don't really profess to, to anything else. But the, you're not given any support every month. You just get a big bill or you have to give up ungodly hours to the gym to work for them. And if I could go back and do my life again, certainly the business aspect, the one thing I would do differently would be to find a mentor. I think that's probably one of the most important factors of success that I sort of didn't do or haven't as yet done. And I think having somebody, having a, a system behind you, uh, you know, even just conversation behind you to support you through the things that are difficult in actually getting yourself set up. Ultimately, if you're in the business of personal training or any kind of health, then you know you are part of a solution to a massive health problem. So any help that can be given, especially on the preventative side for people, is got to be you know, value for money. So that's basically the aim of the podcast is to sort of go help people who have started or are looking to break away from big box gyms and set up their own studios and facilities by basically bringing on guests who talk about their experience, their business experience, their coaching experience. I suppose we come of it from three facets, the coaching, how to coach people better so that you can become a better coach, get better, better reputation, make more money how you can be better technically. So actually coaching techniques, what does the science say so that you can be educated ahead of the crowd. And then thirdly, the business side of things, having people who are successful in business, people like Mike Boyle, um, Tony Gentle, call other people from other businesses as well, talking about those things. And from those three facets to sort of try and help people avoid mistakes, learn from our experiences. We don't have all the answers for sure, but uh, we've got a great team of people and you know, we're good at finding answers and pointing people in the right direction. So that's basically the purpose. I guess you could say our mission statement is to change that statistic. If we can get to the end of a couple of years and we've got only five out of 10 are quitting in the first year, then uh, by proxy, we've helped a lot of people to well, live happier, healthier lives. It's a really fantastic thing that you're doing there. I'll make sure that the links to your website and to your podcast, of course, are 
included in the show notes today. And I'll also make sure I share that around with all the personal trainers in my network as well. I know the statistics are pretty alarming here in Australia as well. I didn't know that they were nine out of 10. I'm not sure what they are here in Australia, but I do know that the attrition rate is actually pretty high. Tell me, Darren, what does the next 12 to 18 months look like for you, mate? Is it exciting? Is there some exciting things coming up? Are you going to open another giant gym or are you going to kind of consolidate your position? What's it look like for you? Well, the first thing sensibly is we're sort of into our fourth year now with the new facility. We've sort of managed to establish after first sort of certainly the first year was financially it was a roller coaster to say the least we were almost bankrupt after the first month everything that's funded privately has a very uh, set limit on on how far you can go um we managed to get to a point where we were sort of financially stable after three years and we found that we had too many still too many fluctuations so we changed our business model the way that we do personal training we completely changed to use a sort of a system that I was taught by Alan Cosgrove, actually, um, coach in America. And it's been working very, very well. So the plan for the next 12 months is to carry on with this new business model, set new targets, and see if we can get better business and financial stability from that model. And then we're constantly, obviously, continuing to develop our staff into their own ventures and um, finding their own specialized areas. Beyond that, obviously, the next thing on the board is the next primal, is would be opening the next gym. We do run an academy as well, which we've just relaunched. So it would be good if we can get that to be a success over the next 12 months. That kind of links with our podcast. Again, it's a, an academy that's set up for trainers and uh, health coaches to, again, sort of bridge that gap between learning technique and coaching and learn it, and then how to turn it into a, an actual business. So uh, they're kind of our fires in the iron, as it were, obviously the podcast as well. So that's kind of the realistic plan for the next 12 months. Ultimately, we'd like to have a bunch of primals sort of all around the country and eventually open one in Spain or somewhere sunny. I've got to get to uh, some, some sunnier climbs and leads. Sydney, come um, to the sunshine. So, yeah. Down under. <laughs> anywhere where there's uh, I just went to Croatia it's only two hours from where we live nice. it's like a different planet absolutely beautiful so yeah that's the plan if I could be in three years time if I could be running a branch of primal in uh, in the south of Spain or somewhere like that that would be <laughs> me a happy man Robert <laughs> <laughs> I love it man it's a really exciting plan therefore I'd love to revisit with you on the podcast in you know six nine months time and yeah. see how you're tracking with that plan and and for all the trainers that are listening to this it's a really inspiring story to see where it's going tell me last question for the podcast mate where you're a busy guy there's a lot on your plate what are the daily non-negotiables for you that allow you to keep bringing your a-game keeping you sharp and focused I think having routine, I always think of myself as a bit of a sort of a scatter brain person. I do what I want when I want. I'm living on the edge. Uh, you know, don't try and stop me. But actually, over the years of being in business, I've sort of settled into quite a, a set routine with pretty much everything. That definitely helps. The first thing I do in the morning is uh, usually have about half an hour of reading. I'm a big Audible fan. I think Audible is the best thing ever invented, ever. <laughs> And I like to get my first half an hour of the day 
headphones on and just have, whether it's the history of Rome podcast or uh, audible book, Tom Peters, I listen to a lot, business genius and have that half an hour rather than meditating. I kind of clear my thoughts. So I'm not waking up with a scatterbrain of, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I have that half hour where I'm just listening to uh, books and uh, that sort of just settles me from there. I spend about an hour setting out the day. And that's really important for me. If I don't have that plan that I have a Trello board and on the Trello board, I have the one thing I need to get done each day. Everything else is a bonus. And usually by getting that one thing done, everything else from that momentum, everything else sort of falls into place. And in the evening, I like to have an hour or so pretty much to myself, half an hour in a bath most evenings, just sort of uh, letting the day sort of uh, uh, wash away. And that's pretty much it. I have those set routines. I make sure I train pretty much most days, uh, not usually Sunday, but most days I'll get some exercise in. And that, that's pretty much it. I tried meditating before and I prefer listening to books. I prefer to sit quietly and sort of listen to a book. And then having that routine at the beginning of the day and the end of the day just kind of bookmarks everything uh, really well for me. That's pretty much it. That's, that's my fairly relaxed routine. It sounds like uh, I can't meditate either, mate. I just really struggle with that. And my daily routine is very similar to yours. I get my stuff ready before I go to bed. And as soon as I'm up in the morning, and it's usually pretty early, sometimes it's not so early, but usually it's pretty early. I'm straight out the door. And the first thing that goes in my ears are my headphones as well. And it's a podcast or it's an audio book or something like that. And I find that just as therapeutic, I suppose, as somebody who meditates that does. And it's just an education process on the front end of my day like that. And sometimes I listen to things that are a little bit longer and I find myself throughout the day just kind of having that in my ears. It's kind of background noise and listening to it as well mm-hmm. and go back and revisiting as well. So we're very similar in that sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that, mate, and coming on the show. We really appreciate you sharing your go-all-in story there and your, your coming-of-age story there. I'm sure there's a, a whole lot more to it. But that was really, really great that you shared that with us. Where can people find out more about your business and your gym? The website is www.getprimal.co.uk, all one word. And the Primal Academy is at www.primalacademy.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Primal Health Academy and the same Primal Health Gym. And then uh, we also have an Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash Primal underscore Academy. And same for uh, Instagram.com forward slash Primal Health Gym for the gym side of things. Of course, on iTunes, you can just go to the Primal Academy podcast and uh, got about uh, 10 episodes or so on there. So people can go and check that out as well. Been lucky to have some great guests already on there. So uh, yeah, people can check us out there as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes and all your contact details as well if anyone's interested in contacting you directly. Well, if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, it would be great if you could just hit that subscribe button for us in iTunes. And if you haven't left the review for us, that would be really useful as well. If you like what you hear, you can hear us plenty more when you subscribe. So that's it for this episode. Thanks again, Darren, for coming on, mate. And we look forward to revisiting and doing another episode with you soon, mate. Bye for now. Bye.